Hello, everyone. Welcome to Sustainalytics Podcast. I'm Sarah Smith, Executive Director in our Client Relations Team in North America. And today I'm joined by my colleague, Martin Vezer, Senior Associate on our Thematic Research Team. Hello, Martin. Hi, Sarah. Good to talk to you. In today's episode, Martin and I are going to be focusing on plastics. We've recently published a new report in our ESG Spotlight series titled Blue Investing, Searching for Solutions to Ocean Plastics. Martin is the lead author of this spotlight, and we're going to have a little bit of a conversation about the topic today. So, Martin, we've noticed uh, an uptick in investors across the board paying attention to the topic of of plastic in a a lot of different areas. Can you tell us a little bit more about why this spotlight report focuses specifically on ocean plastics and what's driving this trend? We find a lot of investors have been thinking about this problem in recent months. I think this is part of a larger trend in the public attention that's been focusing on ocean plastics. Plastic pollution more generally is a big problem. This is something that we touch on in this report, but we really narrowed down our focus on the problem of ocean plastics because this seems to be one area of the problem that has really garnered a lot of attention from the public, from regulators, and from investors. We've seen some corporations taking initiatives uh, even over the past week as we've been going to press. We found a report about a whole bunch of new signatories to pledge to reduce the plastic waste that's going into different products. This is in part a response to the larger public discourse on the topic, but we expect to see uh, more and more attention coming onto this issue from investors. That's great. So both with our report as well as others in the market, probably a very timely topic and conversation to be having. Can you unpack in a little bit more detail, what is it specifically about plastic pollution that's concerning in the, in the oceans? Well, plastic pollution more generally is concerning really because of the amount that has been collecting since the advent of industrial plastic manufacturing in the 1950s. A study that was published in Science Advances last year accounts for the plastic production from 1950 all the way up to 2015. And It showed that over this period, plastic production surged from about 2 million tons in 2000, uh, sorry, in 1950, um, up to about 380 million tons by uh, 2015. So this, with this increased production, the question is what happens to all the plastic after it's been produced? And really quite astoundingly, most of the plastic that has ever been produced has become waste. It's been discarded. Only about 30% of the plastic uh, that's ever been produced is still in use. So most of it is being thrown away. What happens to it when it's thrown away? Well, the bulk of it ends up in landfills or the natural environment. Uh, About 79% of all the plastic ever produced is in landfills or the natural environment. And when we talk about natural environments, That would include natural habitats on the land as well as habitats in the water. Uh, What we see in the water is particularly concerning because these plastics float around indefinitely. They break down into microplastics. Uh, When they're larger pieces, they can trap animals. They can be ingested by animals. uh, And the microplastics can make their way from the bottom of the food web all the way up to the top. The problem of ocean plastics in particular is that these plastics that enter the marine environment end up accumulating, they end up 
uh, swirling around in great patches. The most notorious one is the Great Pacific Ocean Patch. This one of several swaths of floating plastics is twice the size of Texas, just to give you a visual of how big the problem is. Uh, and that's only one of several. We also have microplastics distributed all over the oceans and smaller pieces floating and sinking uh, and being ingested or uh, otherwise affecting wildlife. Thank you for that overview. It's, it's certainly a topic that, as I mentioned before, is is getting a lot of, of press lately. Um, you know, we think of the ocean and there you know, there's, there's no national claims over the ocean. So I think one of the things that can be a little bit challenging is around the topic of, of legislation and, and who is able to legislate those types of topics. Have you seen anything in this space around regulation from, from different countries? Definitely. We see more and more countries are instituting bans or levies, different kinds of taxes on single-use packaging. Uh, the first ban on plastic uh, of certain types, plastic bags, especially thin ones, was in Bangladesh in 2002. More recently, just uh, within the past few weeks, we see news coming out with uh, New Zealand also putting a similar ban in place. These are only ones that I'm uh, thinking about on the national scale, we also have a lot of subnational jurisdictions, cities, and provinces that have put in different kinds of bans or taxes on single-use packaging in particular. Another important movement on the policy side that has been coming into place over the past year is China's ban on various types of plastic importing. So a lot of developed countries look for ways of disposing of their plastic waste. China has for quite a long time been the world's biggest importer of plastic waste, but it is now taking measures to curb the influx of plastic. So this is sending a lot of other plastic waste exporters scrambling for solutions to address their own plastic waste problems. So I don't think that the report focuses specifically on supply chain. I'm curious just if you'd have any, any higher level comments that might not have made it into the report around what that might mean for supply chain. I, I do know there's a fair number of tech companies and apparel companies that, as you mentioned, do ship a lot of their waste to China. If you were to look into a crystal ball, anything that you could say about what you think might happen with the supply chain on, on plastics? Supply chain is a factor that we did consider when uh, looking at some of the ESG metrics that we have on companies that we identified through our study. So we have several different metrics that our analysts use to help investors understand what kinds of policies and programs are in place within a company when it comes to addressing their supplier initiatives. So one of the indicators that we look at is the supplier environment programs indicator. We also have one that focuses on green procurement. Um, so these indicators are more general than the focus particularly on plastic, but we think that they can help investors get a sense of what companies are doing, how they are responding to the market in terms of broader concerns regarding waste management and supply chain issues. Yeah, those are the very good examples. And I imagine something that some investors may even start to think of in, in terms of a topic for engagement with companies, because especially with China implementing that regulation, I imagine you're, start, you're going to start to see the costs for waste management at some of those companies raising over the course of the, of the, the foreseeable future. Maybe we can... Yeah, that... Oh, sorry, that is... go ahead. 
Oh, I was, yeah, I was going to say that that is one of the, the major points that we explain in the paper when it comes to some of the risks facing companies that are producing products that make use of plastic packaging, especially, but um, plastic that ends up becoming waste in, in whatever form it is produced in. Um, so that we have regulator risks. We also have uh, risks related to brand reputation. Uh, some companies have been put in the spotlight recently for having their brands associated with marine litter. Some NGOs such as Greenpeace and others have been auditing the debris collected after beach cleanups uh, to see which brands are most pervasive in some of these coastal landscapes where the ocean has pushed debris up onto the land. Yeah, it's a very interesting topic that I think companies are are, are definitely having the spotlight shone on them a lot more uh strongly. Martin, can you give us a little bit of a high-level overview of how you started to go about building the research for this report? Yes, what we did was we looked at our coverage universe to find companies that are somehow exposed to risks related to plastic waste management. We found a way of taking the list of companies in the most exposed sectors, inputting them into a digital innovation tool that crawls through the websites of all the exposed companies and generates quantitative results about these companies' usage of key terms related to plastic pollution, ocean health, ocean plastics, and biodegradable materials. That was the way we pulled information about different companies. Then we analyzed the data, found companies that were talking about the issues, looked into their initiatives, and then assessed their overall ESG performance to find ones that we think have both innovative solutions to problems related to plastic pollution, as well as relatively strong ESG profiles compared to their sub-industry peers. So the topic of ocean plastics is, is definitely something that companies need to start paying attention to in terms of their business operations. What about the positive side? Um, I'd be really interested in hearing a little bit about a couple of, of the company examples. I think when you were speaking about packaging earlier, I, I recall that there was a company, and I'm going to probably not pronounce this right, but I'll try, called Billerud Korsnas um, out of Sweden. What, what kind of interesting things are they doing? That's right. We found this company, Billerund, is a leader in the paper packaging sub-industry, working on solutions to draw on renewable resources to produce packaging. And what especially caught our eye is biodegradable materials. So uh, some of the biodegradable material that's on the market is biodegradable in special facilities. For example, there's a biodegradable plastic called polylactic acid, PLA, that can biodegrade in the right environment with the right temperature, the right enzymes, and so on. But when that plastic enters the marine environment, it could take as long as conventional plastic to degrade into smaller pieces. Uh, what's nice about Bellarund and uh, paper packaging alternatives is that a lot of these packaged items could be biodegradable, whether they're put in a special facility or they end up in a landfill or they end up in a water source. Uh, so there are some caveats, of course, depending on the product, but they have some products that are designed to be decompostable in a normal environment without special facilities to control for heat and humidity and so on. So that's one of our, our 
leaders in uh, the space of providing solutions to the problem of plastic pollution generally, but also we think this could address some of the concerns related to ocean plastics. The other company that we think is a, a leader in ocean plastics solutions is Adidas. Uh, Adidas has been on the radar for quite some time uh, for a lot of people interested in looking for solutions to ocean plastics. Adidas has been upcycling ocean plastic. We see other companies now catching on to this as well, but Adidas is really leading the charge in upcycling plastic waste that has been accumulated in marine environments and taken from these places where they're drifting or, or up on uh, coastal landscapes using uh, the upcycled material from their suppliers to produce shoes and swimwear and other performance products. This is a relatively small portion of their overall portfolio, but we see other signs that Adidas is really moving forward on addressing the problem of plastic pollution. Uh, recently, just uh, in July of this year, Adidas announced that by 2024, it will only use recycled uh, polyester in all of its uh, shoes and clothing products. That's another positive sign. And we're hopeful that other companies will pick up on this idea of appealing to consumers' interest in addressing the problem and purchasing goods that are working towards a solution rather than contributing to the problem. Consumers and hopefully investors are paying attention to this topic. I, I mean, I, I would assume that Adidas is probably doing this from a branding perspective as well, because there's a, a much more informed consumer base paying attention to the topic of, of plastic. Um, and now we've got additional information on what some of those companies are, are doing to address the topic in greater detail. You mentioned that there was quite a number of sectors and you've highlighted eight of the companies that that Sustainalytics views as, as being leaders at, on the topic of ocean plastics specifically. Is there a particular sector that you might say is is doing better than another one, if you can compare across sectors? Well, so the eight companies that we feature in this report all have some solution to the problem of plastic pollution. But I should emphasize that there's a lot of variation uh, from one company to another in terms of the potential of their solution, um, as well as the, the way that the solution connects to their business model, um, and whether the solution really connects to ocean plastics or the problem of plastic pollution more generally. So for this selection of eight, it's really about leaders in the space of solutions for plastic pollution. And then looking more closely, we can see among those eight, we find that some of them are better prepared than others to address the problem specifically of ocean plastic. When it comes to a cross-industry comparison, we do provide an appendix with a list of benchmarks. We use these benchmarks in our report to compare how well each of our eight companies is doing relative to its sub-industry peers on a selection of 11 ESG metrics. So we look at their overall ESG risk pro uh, profile. We look at their environmental policy score, environmental management system score, and a list of other metrics. So while we're using these benchmarks as a way of gauging the preparedness of individual companies relative to their sub-industry peers, uh, one could also take the data that we provide in this appendix and compare how one industry is faring on a particular ESG issue relative to another. These metrics are not specifically designed to address plastic pollution exclusively. Uh, it's more about looking at more general programs and policies that would 
address plastic pollution, as well as other environmental concerns. We take these indicators to be broad signals of how a company is addressing different kinds of environmental factors. Uh, and then when we look closer at the specifics of each company, we then develop an assessment of the initiatives related to plastic pollution and ocean plastics. That's been very helpful, Martin, and I appreciate that you drew everyone's attention to that Appendix B. I think it's a really good indicator of how investors can take this as a holistic view of, of what some of the topics are they should be paying attention to from ocean plastics and take the opportunity in Appendix B to, to dive a little bit deeper, whether it's on specific topics at a company or to start thinking about how they can they can push this conversation amongst the, the management conversations they're having with companies. You've done an excellent job of, of summarizing things, and I think that we touched on some really key, interesting points in, in today's podcast. I thank you, Martin, for the work on this, and I encourage all of the listeners to have a read of the report. Thanks, Martin. Thank you, Sarah. Pleasure to talk to you as always. Well.